I'm Keaton. I'm Laura. And we love stories and talking about stories. So we're looking at the Bible as a story that's filled with real people. And we're hoping that if we um, show the human side of these people in the story, um, that we'll see God is real too. That's right. We want to try to read the Bible with curiosity and maybe let our imagination do more work than it gets to do when we read scripture sometimes. So we're going to start with the question, what did these people eat for breakfast? And we're going to see where it takes us. How did they start their day? And how did the rest of the day go? Welcome to The Breakfast Translation. So we, we should say that we have created an atmosphere in our studio today here at Southbrook. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we mentioned this in an earlier episode, but that we've purchased these cereal candles uh, you thought there was just one? You were wrong. No, they're cereal candles. <laughs> they go forever. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. That was, see, that was one of those. It's the greatest That's thing the ever. greatest thing I've ever mm-hmm. said. Okay, good. Um, so this one, we're, this is brought to you today unofficially from the Target cereal candles. And today we've lit up a Cocoa Puffs scented candle. Scale of one to eight. Similarity to Cocoa yeah. Puffs? Yeah. Uh, four. I think it got halfway there for me. It smells good. It does. I just think they could have leaned into the chocolate a little bit more. Yeah. Cause that's the joy of the cocoa puffs. Mm-hmm. It so tastes, it smells like taste. I didn't eat it. I swear. <laughs> it smells like, it smells like the milky vanilla yeah. and a hint of maybe something chocolatey, but yeah, you do. It does smell delicious. So you do kind of want to just Get a spoon. Yeah. And just eat up that hot wax. What would you rank it? (laughs) From one to eight. Mm -hmm. I'd say in proximity to Cocoa Puffs, I might give it a five. Okay. Yeah. But I do think all of these would just have the, like if I lit them in my house, I would just want cereal. So we've lit this fun candle, but we're talking about, we're kind of in a tangled, tangled series here, a delicate series. Right. Cocoa Puff candle doesn't necessarily complement it. Yeah. And I think... What this is reminding me of is just that the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament, whatever you call them, they do not shy away from the reality of humanity. No, they are. That, <laughs> I, I, there's something to appreciate about them not trying to sugarcoat the the story. Yeah. They leave in all of the grit. That's and right. The trauma. Yeah. And if you think about, I don't know, I grew up, my parents were not really like this, but I do feel like the church environments that I've been a part of, there was like some... You know, like you're not supposed to see rated R movies or whatever. And I just, my parents didn't have a lot of, a lot of rules around that kind of thing, but it is always just interesting to me. And I understand why you would want to kind of limit as a parent, why you might be careful about what your kids learn about the world and how they learn about it. And when, yeah, right. Yeah. That you want to be delicate with those things. But I do think it's interesting that the Bible does not shy away from the, what all it means to be a person. And sometimes what it means to be a person is tangled sexual relationships. And what we've seen in the Abraham and Sarah story is that they have this moment where they're not sure that the promise of God for children is going to come through. And we talked in our last episode about how giant that is, that God and Abraham are in a covenant together, um, that God is going to make some things happen if Abraham stays faithful. So God is going to give them land. God's going to give them children that are going to have more children, that they're going to make a whole nation just from their family, and that they're going to have this special relationship with God where the things that they bless on earth will be blessed by God. So 
in their rush to like get those promises done and to almost like play the hand of God, they mm. bring Hagar into their family in a way that's not something we're used to, right? right? Which is Sarah encourages Abraham to sleep with her so that she can have the child because Sarah's like, I, my time has passed, right? Right. Um, and we talked about this a little bit, but I want to just say it again. Uh, the Womanist Midrash book by Will Gaffney is really good at the background on this. Uh, but one of the things she talks about a lot is just the different levels of what it is to be a servant um, the desperation that might have led to a woman being a servant in any form that. So when we talk about Hagar and her character, there's a chance that she's really young. Mm. There's and that what has brought her to this situation is no other family to care for her. So she she finds this family that she can serve. Right. As a means to make it. Yeah. So in a world where she can't go get a waitress job. In a world where women can't really work for money, um, you would need to find a family to basically take you into their fold, right? Because this is, again, they're, they're, it's super rural. There's not, you know, the economy is the trading of goods and services. So it's a different world than making a minimum wage. Or, um, and so you wouldn't make money. You would trade your life for provisions, so her breakfast is just whatever she could get. Um, so I think it's really important for us. You know, a lot of people make uh, parallels to Handmaid's Tale, which I've only seen the first season. Have you watched? I can't remember what you said. Have you watched it? I read the, you read book. the book, which is the first season. Right. right? And it captures. Right. Yeah. Or, as far as I know, it captures the, the spirit of. It kind of it built, it world builds. Yeah. And I think that is just such. So oppressive mm -hmm. uh, if you watch that the first season or read the book. Um, it's the idea of them forcing women to have children. Um, and I, I don't know that we're totally far from that, but it's not the same, you know. But I do think it's important for us to say Hagar is in a spot of desperation and that she doesn't have any power in this relationship. Right. She doesn't get to say no. Right. Because it would mean... Get tossed no out, right? Yeah. Especially if they are in one of those, like we talked about before, they're wandering, right? They're not settled into a community. So if she's traveling with them, it's even harder for her to go mm -hmm. make another choice, right? Right. Because so much of Abraham and Sarah's story is intense, like intense <laughs> inside of tents, and camping yeah, tents, yeah, intense and intense, right? Intense um, tent. It's adventure. there. My father is a wandering Aramean is one of the lines that gets kind of sung about Abraham eventually that a lot of Abraham's story and Sarah's story as a result is about wandering and not and being in between homes. And so has their servants, you would also have been in between, you know, a, a secure community. Uh, so Hagar is without even more resources than a normal servant who could maybe at least change families or. Um, run away and find another family to take her in. Um, so when we think about a, a woman like that, is there anything that you would, how do you get to what? what again, they would eat for breakfast? Yeah. I think our, our breakfast question is funny, but it's designed to also draw out who are these people. Right. right? To imagine what, what yeah. she was eating for breakfast. Yeah. I think it, it couldn't have been 
it couldn't have been what she wanted to eat. And I think that's important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, not no choice there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I wanted to think about it a little differently, which is to say, I, I don't know how, uh, the whole world works. Like, I don't know. That's what? a news deal. I don't understand. Why are, we, why are the listeners tuning in? Exactly. <laughs> I know. Go listen to somebody else who the Holy Post, they understand everything over there. Uh -huh. Um, I want there to be an eternal world in which Hagar gets served breakfast regularly. Like I want, you know, it gets, it gets hard to say. We do have some indication. This is a bigger question than what we can get to here. But uh, we have some indication that some of these folks uh, who are a big part of this, the Old Testament story, we have some indication that they have an eternal life, that they have some life past their life on earth, right? We get this, the scenes in the gospel where Jesus sees Elijah, um, or this idea that Elijah kept on living, um, or that when he, when Jesus goes on the transfiguration, like there's the sense, there's the story of Abraham being seen in, in an eternal life. So there, there is some sense those folks keep living somehow, some way, um, and so however Hagar's life continues on, I, I want her to be brought breakfast in bed someday. Yeah. The idea that somebody would know her. Yes. To know what she would want for breakfast and then to serve her without yes. her serving in return is yes. lovely. And there is a, there is an, a redemption arc to Hagar's story because she runs away at some point after her son is born. So she has that son named Ishmael. And shortly after then Sarah is pregnant. So Isaac comes along, has that heir mm -hmm. and Hagar just can't, she's done. She can't watch this. She can't watch her son then be ignored in the same way she's been ignored for her whole life. And so she runs away to the wilderness and she has an encounter with God that is really powerful. Um, she calls God by a name that nobody else calls God by this name. And she almost, it's almost like she's nicknaming God. You know what I mean? Like she sees him They're and close. says, Hey, scooter, you know, <laughs> like, but she calls him uh, the one who sees. And that's beautiful in so many ways. One is that she gets to decide mm -hmm. <laughs> what God's name is, which nobody else gets to do that. But the name she picks is a name that kind of draws out her story, which is she's been invisible. She's been irrelevant. She's, she's been, she's been used, used. Yeah. She's been undervalued. Um, she's been just a, a pawn in their family game. And when she meets God, she feels seen. Uh, and so I think her story does have, some beauty to it, uh, even though it is a really painful, painful one. Um, I want us to think about this a little bit. I, we talked about this coming in, but, uh, it, you said you had not heard of the miracle question. No, I hadn't. I want us to sit with it. This is for us to do. And in my life, I feel like this is a thing I regularly go back to, but for anybody who's listening, maybe this will be, if they've ever felt like Hagar, you know, which we all have had some environments, I imagine where we felt unseen or where we felt used or where we felt like we were less than. Um, 
So I was doing a retreat with some high school students and I introduced them to this miracle question. So the miracle question is a very like famous device used in counseling and therapy where you're asked to imagine that a miracle happens and you wake up the next day with the life you want, basically, or where some problem that you're facing is fixed. So if you're a married couple and you come into therapy, the therapist might ask you, what if a miracle happened overnight and you woke up? And you had a perfect marriage the next day. And the idea of the question is to get the couple to like imagine, oh, well, we might consider what the other person wants for breakfast. We might get the orange juice out for them ahead of time, or we might make the coffee the way they would want it. And they, as they describe the day after the miracle, they start to slowly see that it's possible. And so it kind of changes your imagination for what's possible in your life. And so I was doing this retreat with these high school girls and I said, now imagine that you woke up tomorrow, a miracle happens overnight and you wake up tomorrow and you just know you are loved. How would you spend your day? Like, how would your life be different? How would your day be different? And it could be that you're loved by God. It could be that you're loved by your friends. It could just be that you're just that you feel beloved. Mm -hmm. What, what would that do to you? Um, and so you can kind of imagine, right? Can you, what would you project on these? Like a, a young girl, what would she, what, what might she say? Yeah, how could that change her? Yeah. I think maybe more comfort at the, at the lunch table, at the lockers, oh, yeah. just feeling all those social and, games mm -hmm. that students kind of find themselves in. Yeah. Some of them did mention that, like, um, that it, it wouldn't mean so much to them if they felt smaller rejections from each other. Mm -hmm. uh, but some of them, you know, were struggling with disordered eating. And so I know there were a couple of them that said, I wouldn't count my calories all the time, or I wouldn't overthink everything that I was eating, or I wouldn't skip meals. Um, so for some of them, it was that they were able to make that much of a tangible connection that some of the choices they were making were because they understood the story of Haggard, Hagar. Of, um, of being unseen and unappreciated. Um, and I think they realized they wouldn't have to fight back as much. So some of them said, I'd probably fight less with my parents mm -hmm. just because I wouldn't have to prove, prove myself. I, yeah, I wouldn't have to separate myself as much. I wouldn't have to find my identity and my anger or whatever. Mm -hmm. I go back to that question all the time. Um, what, am I, what am I doing out of an insecurity mm -hmm. uh, around that? that love. Um, and I think there's, I don't know. Do you have any responses to that? Any thoughts? I just feel like I'd feel unbelievably rested yeah. uh, to be able to operate out of I've, it's already done. Yeah. I, I did it. And everything that I do now can just be out of this place of being loved instead of out, in, out of a place of earning it. And not just from other people, but just convincing myself too that I deserve yeah. my spot. Yeah. We wear ourselves out. Don't we? Yeah. I think that's a good thought that we might we'd be better rested for sure. Um, I, I think it's important that that Hagar is in this story. Uh, I think it's important that we think about what ways she does reflect a world that we don't know. And what in what way does she reflect a world we know too well? Um, and I hope all of us find ourselves in some moment where our favorite latte is is delivered to us. By someone who knows we love that latte. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do just want to say one note about, this is a really, uh, 
it's sort of academic, but it's also really helpful. I think when if you're reading along with us at all, or if you've ever struggled with reading the Old Testament, um, I read a book a long time ago called uh, The Death and Resurrection of the Beloved Son. And what the author does, this uh, he's a Jewish scholar named John Levinson. What he does is trace the whole story of the Old Testament around stories of older brothers and younger brothers. Mm. That over and over again, what you get is this story where there's an older brother who should get all the love and attention and property. But there's a younger brother who's who has more affection from the family. And over and over again, there's some kind of death of the first son, but then there's some kind of resurrection. So even going back to the stories we've done already, if you had Adam and Eve, right, they have two sons, Cain and Abel. Well, the younger son is the one whose offering is loved a little more and he dies for that. But his resurrection, he's not resurrected um, perfectly or exactly, but they have another son to kind of take that place. Um, but it's really obvious here in this story, right? Because technically Ishmael is the older son who by all accounts should have gotten the property, gotten all the love of the father, but doesn't. Isaac is loved a little more because he's Sarah's son. And, uh, and instead of dying, he has this moment where he's supposed to be sacrificed. But instead of that, he's brought back to life because there's a goat instead or a ram instead. Um, it plays out several times in the Old Testament. So in the story of Joseph, um, and then you get the story from Jesus about the, the older brother and the prodigal son who's loved a little more, who goes off and has a death of his own by leaving the family and being in exile. So, um, the, the scholar kind of tells the, kind of makes that connection to obviously the story of Jesus, right? That Jesus is the beloved son, but technically he's younger than God's first child, which is all of Israel. Mm. Um, and that he experiences a death and a resurrection. Uh, it's just a really, I don't know. Have you ever seen that? Like I've read the Bible most of my life, but I had never seen that pattern until I read his book. Mm -mm. Uh, and it just kind of made it. Uh, it's a thread that's there that kind of helps as you're reading through, if you are reading along with us and you're reading through all this chaotic stories. It's something to hang on to. There's actually a really the clear themes. pattern that's right. there that keeps happening um, that actually does connect back to the story of Jesus. So uh, hopefully um, you'll feel a little closer to being loved today, uh, whether it's through breakfast or being, being seen or known. Uh, but Hagar's story is valuable because it's ours. So thanks for joining us on The Breakfast Translation. Look and understand.